Let's turn to today's scripture reading. Um, I invite you to open your Bibles to today's scripture reading, which is taken from the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. And uh, when you are there, please be upstanding for the reading of God's word. Okay, Proverbs chapter 3, starting at verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. This was the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. If you don't mind, uh, I'd like to pray before uh, every time that I preach the word, both out of reverence uh, for God's word and also to calm my own nerves. So if we could take a moment to pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this incredible opportunity to stand before your presence, to be in the company of believers to share in the grace that you have delivered unto us, to hear from you the very words which you speak to your people, to partake of the spirit that you pour down freely upon us, to encourage each other, to correct each other, to rebuke each other, to train each other up, to grow in righteousness, Lord. We pray that you would do that here for this community and for communities across the world. Lord, we, we thank you for that privilege. We know that not every Christian community in this world has that privilege to do so freely and in safety. So much more evident in recent news. And Lord, we do pray for those Christians who have to hide oftentimes their devotion and affection for you. And we pray that you would pour an even greater amount of grace for them. Lord, speak to us today. Relieve us of our burdens. Convict those who need to be convicted. Heal those who need to be healed. And above all, may you be glorified. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. So when I uh, first started Dating my wife, you know, it's kind of hard when you first start dating because oftentimes as the guy, it's up to you to come up with great dating plans. And so I heard about something called an escape room. And I'd never been to one before, but I thought it'd be a great idea. So my wife and I, we went to an escape room for the first time. And oftentimes they try to mix you up with a larger crowd of people, but for us it was just the two of us and we were introduced into this room. I don't know how many of you have ever been in an escape room. Basically you get locked inside of this room, there are all these clues everywhere like clocks and maps and puzzles and they give you a starting point and you have to solve one riddle which leads you to the next one and you solve that one and it leads in and goes on and on and on until finally you discover the key. You discover the key to unlock the door. You're given about an hour, at least for us, for this particular escape room, you're given an hour to solve it. And at the 45-minute mark, we found the key. And we were high-fiving each other and thinking, yeah, we're pretty, just the two of us, we're pretty, we're pretty smart, we're pretty wise. We got it taken care of. We unlock the door, open it, and then walk into the next room. There's a whole other room with 
all these different clues and another locked door, and uh, we figured out that we weren't as smart as we thought we were. Sometimes we feel like the Christian life is like this, like God is leaving all of these little clues all around us, and it's up to us to figure it out. And maybe if we don't figure out the right clues, or we get sidetracked, or we just run out of time, we can end up not being in the will of God. We ask questions like, what career should I pursue? What job should I accept? Where should I live? What church should I become a member of? Who should I marry? We ask all of these questions and sometimes we're so knotted up in fear and anxiety because we're afraid to make a mistake. Hopefully, as we look at the book of Proverbs today, we can find out what wisdom has to teach us about making wise choices. What choice would wisdom make when it comes across a difficult decision. And you would think, actually, the first thing that wisdom would tell us in making wise choices is to use wisdom. That's what we would think. But actually, in our passage today, the second part of verse 5, it says what? Do not lean on your own understanding. Do not lean on your own understanding. Our passage actually tells us that we ought not to use our own wisdom when searching for wisdom. Now let me ask a question. Is wisdom a bad thing? Is it something to be avoided? Absolutely not. After all, the entire book of Proverbs is concerned with the pursuit and acquisition of wisdom. The book of Proverbs opens with the idea that we should know wisdom. But wisdom is more than just Simple knowledge, it's the proper application of knowledge. If knowledge asks the question, can we? Wisdom asks, should we? What is the right circumstance for applying the knowledge and skills and the different things that we have available to us? When is it the right time? When is it the right circumstances? And that's what makes wisdom so difficult. It's not just a question of, is it the right answer? It's also about, Is it the right time? Is it the right circumstance? But here's the thing. There is a limit to wisdom. That's why it says do not lean on your own understanding. At least to human wisdom, there is a limitation. Now, you do your best to come to to a wise decision. You gather as much information as you can. You, You explore every possible avenue. But there comes a point when you just don't have enough. Now, my son, he he loves excavators. I have absolutely no idea how he came to love excavators. It's not like when he was growing up, we bought him a toy of an excavator and gave it to him. And the very first time he saw an excavator, he just, ah, he just fell in love with it. I don't know what it is about the excavator, but he loves it. And so I, I have, over the years, learned over the couple of years, I uh, learned a whole lot about excavators. Right? I can sing the entire Blippi song for you if you'd like. 
There are small excavators. There are medium-sized excavators. There are huge excavators. I actually was searching through the Internet for pictures of excavators because my son wanted that. And I actually saw a, a portable, like you put this on the back of your truck, excavator. It's just a little seat with, with levers and a tiny little bucket that's about the size of, of, of this stand here. Why are there so many different size excavators? Because you always want the right tool for the job. Now, if you're just digging a hole for, for a tree to be planted, you want the smaller excavator. But if you're digging a foundation for a building, that little excavator is not going to be good enough. Now, they both do the same thing. I mean, so does a shovel, too. Basically, it's just moving earth from one place to another. They both accomplish the same task, but sometimes what you have is just not good enough. If you want to dig little holes to plant your vegetable garden, then yes, a little shovel is good enough, but try, try digging the foundation of a building with that. You won't be able to, and that's The thing, there is a limit to human wisdom. It's a good thing. But there comes a point when you're trying to make a wise decision and there just is not enough. But it's not just even about having all the right information, knowing all the right choices. Sometimes it's even a question of the wisdom itself. I mean, how do you even know you're wise? How does someone become wise enough to know that he is wise? This is like the question about people who, are, who become drunk, right? You know, before you, you drink, and I'm not encouraging one or the other, but before you drink, you're probably thinking to yourself, oh, yeah, you know, you don't want to drink and drive. Of course, you don't want to, to be impaired. But the problem is, as you drink, as you become drunk, what happens? Your judgment becomes impaired. The ability to judge yourself is lacking. And so when you are drunk, you think to yourself, oh no, I've got no issues. I've got no problems. Like, how does a colorblind person even know that he's colorblind? Everything that he sees is telling him that the color is green, not purple. He has to rely on someone else saying, no, 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 that's actually a different color. There comes a point when we just don't have the proper faculties to make wise decisions. That's what we have to acknowledge. We just have to recognize sometimes it's just not good enough. Then what do we do? Do we sit around and not make any decisions at all? No. We are told to trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now it is unfortunate that In the modern English, we associate the word heart primarily with feelings and emotions. When we think about moving with the heart, we think about doing something out of our emotions. But actually, in the ancient world, that's not it. The use of the word heart in the Bible, sure, it involves emotions, but it's so much more than that. Actually, in in the Hebrew world, the word that they use for heart, it, it, I mean, for feelings, is not the heart. It, it, it's actually the gut. We, we have a carryover from this. We, we talk about gut feelings. I've got a gut feeling about this. 
which means that you don't have any rational explanation for why you think this way, but something, a gut feeling, is telling you that. That's what the Hebrew world, how they express feelings, not the heart. Instead, the heart is the center of your will. It is with the heart that you make decisions. It's the opposite of of the, the term The heart wants what the heart wants. If someone ever tells you the heart wants what the heart wants, what they're telling you is that I want to do something else. My decision wants to be something else, but my heart is telling me to go this way, and I have to follow my heart. It's the opposite of that. The heart is what you use to make decisions. And it is this decision-making faculty that we are to trust God with. Not, you know, when we feel good about it, not when we feel at peace. But the heart is more than just emotions and just the center of our will. I'm going to age myself a little bit. Um, uh, There was a song a long time ago called The Heart of Worship. Now, when you hear this song, when you hear that phrase, the heart of worship, and you get to the phrase, it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. It's not talking about the emotion of worship. It's not even really talking about the desire or the decision to worship. What is it talking about? What is the core essence of worship? What is the main feature of worship? If you can wrap everything that is about worship into one phrase, into one concept, what would it be? It's all about you, Jesus. The heart is is not just what we make decisions with. It is the core, the essence of a person. Then to trust the Lord with all of your heart is to trust him with the whole self, with everything that you have. And when you hear the phrase, with all your heart, it should spark your memory. It should, it should twist something in yourself because Scripture tells us, it commands us to do something else with all of our heart. You should have this memorized. Every good Jewish person, this is one of the very first things that they memorize. It's so important that Jesus once asked the question, what is the summary of all the law? And he said this. What is it? You shall love the Lord, your God, with what? All your heart. With all your heart. We are not told to trust in a God that we have absolutely no relationship with, that we are completely disconnected from. We are told to trust in a God that we love with all of our heart. And we love God because he first loved us. God chose us. We are in a loving relationship with God and we can trust him because he has our best intentions in mind. We're not called to place our trust in some sort of a a, a, a capricious God who changes his mind all the time and does whatever he wants. We are called to trust in God when we lack wisdom to wholeheartedly and willfully trust in a God who loves us unconditionally. 
Then what? So, okay, you come to a difficult decision. You've tried to use all of your wisdom, everything that's available to you, to you and, and, and you've come to recognize, I just don't have enough. And then so you turn around and you say, I love you, God. I love you with all my heart, and I trust you. Then what? Is God like a GPS that sounds off and tells you, turn left, 30 feet, turn right? Does he send angels to, to guide your way? Does he appear in a, a, a pillar of clouds by day and a pillar of fire by night to lead your way? Well, I mean, biblically speaking, sometimes he did. But is that what we're waiting for? Is, do we just stand still? That's not what this passage tells us. Now, most people, when they memorize this passage, they stop at, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all that you do, and he will make your path straight. We stop there, but if you go further on into verse 7, it says what? Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Now, fear is a concept that the modern world, we have a difficult time with. We don't really understand the fear of the Lord, but the fear of the Lord is so important that the book of Proverbs, it opens by saying that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, you can't even start to gain wisdom until you fear God. The first step on the road to knowledge is to fear God. But here's the other thing. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, the two books should be taken together. And at the end of Ecclesiastes, what does that tell us? Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 says this, The end of the matter, in other words, after having taught you all of this wisdom, after having surveyed everything that's available in the world, all has been heard. So what's the conclusion? Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Fear of God is considered the beginning of wisdom and it's considered the conclusion of wisdom. You can't know anything until you fear God and when you know anything at all, it tells you to fear God. Well, then what is the fear of God? Is fearing God the kind of terror that we normally associate with the, weird, with the word fear, like fear in horror movies? Is it something that, that, that we're so afraid of, something we don't know in every dark corner? We're afraid of something that's going to come and, and, and endanger us, harm us? Is that how we are to treat God, terrified, shivering in a dark corner? No. The fear of God has to do with the greatness of God. I don't know how many of you have ever been to the Grand Canyon. Um, I grew up in Arizona. Um, and uh, we used to do mission trips out to Arizona in the Native American community. And uh, at the end of every mission trip, I would take the mission team and we'd go visit the Grand Canyon because words don't do justice. Pictures don't do justice. You have to experience it. You have to stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon and look down into the depth of it to realize how grand, how big it is. 
the fear of the Lord isn't some sort of irrational fear of, of a danger that's threatening our life. It is the fear of, a, of the sheer magnitude of, of, of the power of what is before us. When you're standing on that edge of the Grand Canyon and you realize you are at least a mile high, that it will take you seven seconds if you were to slip and fall before you hit the bottom, then you are gripped with fear. It's the difference between an irrational fear and a rational fear. Now, I, um, I have arachnophobia. I think I have a legit arachnophobia. Because even if it's a tiny little house spider, uh, I will break out in hives. My, my skin will crawl. I'll start shaking. I don't know what happened. Maybe when I was a kid, something happened. Uh, there was even a point um, at my old church at, at MPC. I was in the middle of preaching, and this little jumping spider jumped on top of the, the, the pulpit, and I screamed like a little girl, and I jumped back. Couldn't help it. It's just a... It's just a visceral reaction. That's an irrational fear. I am many thousands of times bigger than the spider. The spider cannot harm me. But there is a rational fear. People who have acrophobia, fear of heights, it's not some, someone experiencing vertigo because they're five stories high. That's Rational fear, that's reasonable. If you're looking over the edge and you feel your gut twisting, that's a good fear because it's warning you if you fall, you're in danger. Or or acrophobia is like standing on top of this, this height, and you look down and you start experiencing vertigo. It's an irrational fear. When you look at the power and holiness and righteousness of God and you realize how far you fall short of that glory, then fear grips your heart. When you realize how perfect God is and how imperfect you are, fear grips your heart, and you can't know anything until you know that. And this is why fear of the Lord inevitably turns to turning away from evil, from rejecting evil. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Unlike an irrational fear, the fear of the Lord doesn't cripple you into doing nothing. It motivates you to pursue holiness and reject evil. When you realize how big, how holy, how righteous how perfect God is, it motivates you to reject anything that is evil. But it's not just about rejecting evil. Proverbs 8.13 tells us the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Oftentimes we think that the, the laws of God, you know, the the restrictions upon us, uh, we, well, we think of it as restrictions. We think of it as something that is cumbersome, that is weighing us down. It's preventing us from doing the things that we really want to do. That's not it at all. It's like blaming your seatbelt for preventing you from moving when you're driving the car. The seatbelt exists for what? To keep you safe. 
When you're at the Grand Canyon and you're visiting and you're looking down over it, they have safety rails there. Why? To prevent you from falling over. You don't hate the safety rails. You don't hate the seatbelt. Now, as an army chaplain, I will never fire a weapon, but I deal with soldiers who do. And there are so many safety guidelines when you're out in the range because you're dealing with real weapons. You have to wear a vest. You have to wear your Kevlar. You have to go through a whole series of of classes. You have to make sure that your muzzle discipline is correct. You either point that muzzle down or up. You never point it at anybody. As soon as you do, you're kicked off the range. Why do those rules exist? It's not to prevent you from doing what you want to do. It's there for your safety. We hate the evil that endangers our life. Fear of the Lord causes us to do that. And it's only, it's only when you fear the Lord and you realize how big and grand he is, he is and you realize how far you fall short that you can, what I call it, enjoy fear. What, what do you mean by enjoying fear? Read a little further in Proverbs. Proverbs 16.6 says, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When we know the consequences of evil are so severe, and we know the power and justice of God to punish evil, we hate it, and we turn away from evil, but... When we know that our evil is atoned for, that it's taken care of, that it has been paid for, not by what we have done, but by the the chesed, faithful love of God, the unconditional, undeserved, all motivated by God love that he pours out for us, then we can stand secure in the face of fear. If you could hang glide through the depths of the Grand Canyon and experience truly how big and how great it is and you trust in the hang glider to keep you away from falling, then you can truly enjoy it. I mean, I've never gone bungee jumping, but this is what that is, right? It, it's knowing the, the depth of how far you're, you're falling, but it's also trusting in that line to pull you taut And keep you safe. When we look deeply into the majesty of our Lord, we are terrified because of our deep sinfulness. But when we realize that our sinfulness has been washed, then we don't run away from that fear. We enjoy it. We look deeply. And every moment that we're terrified, that cord, that that safety harness pulls tight the harness of God's love. As much as we are told to fear God and turn away from evil, we are also told to do one other thing. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Now it is, again, unfortunate that the ESV chooses to translate this Hebrew word as acknowledge. 
There is an element of knowledge, but when we think of acknowledge, we think it's just kind of like the cognitive recognition of something, an affirmation that something exists or is true. But that's not really what it is. The base word for this is just simply know. In all your ways, know him. It's so much more than just acknowledging. It, 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 it's a pursuit of knowing God. Recall, if you will, the, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. But then after ex- instructing the student to pursue after wisdom, the teacher, the writer of Proverbs says this, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Because here, here's, here's what it is. Fear, fearing God and knowing God, they're, they're inseparable. The more you come to fear it, the more you need to understand it, the more you learn about it, the more you come to fear it. The two drive each other. When you know God's holiness, it drives that fear of God in you. When you know God's omnipresence and you know that there is nowhere that God is not, then it comforts you. Knowing there's nowhere you can go that God cannot find you. And when you come to to know God more, when your heart's desire is to know him more in everything that you do, in all of your ways, in every pursuit of your life, you want to know him more, then you also seek to make him known, to acknowledge him. This is the wise way of life. In every circumstance, in all of your decisions, when you come to the end of your own wisdom, when you don't know what to do, then you trust wholeheartedly and willfully in our loving God. You ask this, does this decision cause me to turn away from evil? Does this decision cause me to know God more? Does it cause God to be known more? That should be the driving force behind our decision-making process. I mean, if you're asking that question, what college should I attend? What are your factors for making that decision? Are you looking for a godly community? If you're choosing a career, will this career help you to know God more? If it's the choice between two jobs, one that pays really well, The other one doesn't pay as much, but one causes you to be separated from your family and your faith community, and the other one allows you to be there, to be the head of your household, to lead faithfully and spiritually your own home, and also to participate participate and be a member of your church, then the decision should be clear. That's not a difficult decision. If you're a recovering alcoholic, then you don't accept a job as a bartender. That should be clear. I used this as a joke a couple of weeks ago during a sermon, but then I read on the news. I said, you cannot, God is not leading you to be a stripper. I used that as a hyperbolic example 
And then I saw a news article of Christians who during COVID felt they were led by God to make money and provide for their family in a certain way. No. Fear of the Lord causes you to turn away from evil, causes you to know God more, to make him known. If a decision doesn't do these things, then you already know the answer. And if we live our life in this manner, if we make every decision in this way, that we pursue the knowledge of God, we pursue to make God known in our own lives, we pursue a life of holiness and righteousness, then what happens? What does it result in? What does it produce? He will make straight your paths. He will make straight your paths. Now, some translations, they basically say something like God will direct your path. The ASV says, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct thy paths. The New Living Translation says, seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. If you read it this way, then that actually takes you to exactly what I was talking about at the very beginning. You're terrified because you're afraid you're going to make the wrong decision. You're not going to take the path that God was showing you. But that is not what this verse is saying. It's not saying that he will direct your path. It's not saying that he will show you the right path to take. He's saying that he will make your path straight. I want to make that very clear to you. He's not pointing the way for you to go, the path that you're on will be straight. I am an army chaplain, and I, uh, the battalion that I'm in, we're an engineering battalion. My uh, engineering battalion has two different types of uh, engineers. One is combat engineers, they go out before the movement of the army and they test the path to make sure that there are no hazardous obstacles in the way. A vehicle will go forth, a mine detector vehicle, and then another vehicle follows behind which removes those mines. That is God walking before us. The other type of engineers, what they call horizontal engineers. These engineers, they go before the army moving behind and they level the ground. If there is an obstacle in the way, they take that obstacle out of the way so that the army can move forward. This is what this passage is talking about. God is making that path for us. Let me ask you this. Did God make you aware of the need for Jesus Christ and point you in the right direction? Or did he move you from being children of darkness into being children of light? Did he set your feet on the right path to salvation or did he make that path? Did Jesus kind of come down and say, hey guys, you're dying in your sin Let me show you the way. Or is he the way itself?
my brothers and sisters, if in every decision-making point, if your desire is to know God, to make him known, to love him, to fear God, to turn away from evil, I will say this, you cannot make the wrong choice. Why? Because if you want to know God, then God will make sure you, you know him, whether it is in triumph or in trial. If you want to make God known, then he will glorify himself in you, whether you are succeeding or failing. If you want to turn away from evil and, and pursue God's righteousness, then you will find it whether you live or you die. If the path you want to take is to follow God, then you will always be on the right path. He will make your path straight. So Christians, don't live in fear. I know that we, right now we live in a world where every decision seems to matter so much. And I'm sure uh, many of us are thinking some very awful decisions have been made. As Christians, I want us to live with boldness, with knowing that if we are pursuing after God, if we are fearing Him, if we have a desire to make Him known in all that we do, we can move forward boldly because God was, is moving in front of us and clearing that path for us. We cannot fall away from His path. He will always glorify us and we will always be safe in Him. God will make your path the right one. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, there are so many things in this world right now that cause us to be anxious, Lord, to cause us to know or cause us to not know what we ought to do, Lord. There are so many dangers, it appears, to our life, to our family, to our faith. But Lord, let us not live in fear of the world. Let us live in fear of you. Let us know that you are so much greater than the world. Let us know that if we pursue after you with all of our heart, we will find you. If we love you with all of our heart, Lord, if we fear you, if we trust in you with all of our heart, Lord, you will make our path straight. You made that path straight for us by sending your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, into this world. He made the way. He became the way for us. Far be it for us, Lord, to think we can make our own way now. Lord, we trust you. We love you. We pursue after you. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.